Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week we watched Mother! Exclamation mark, the polarizing new horror movie by Darren Aronofsky. Jennifer Lawrence stars as a supportive young wife character. Her husband is a famous poet who's played by Javier Bardem. They live together in a secluded house which gradually gets invaded by unwanted visitors, um, starting off by a pair of characters played by Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris. And then there's also some kind of mysterious horror movie type events like A Bleeding Floor, but this is very much an art film rather than the kind of grindhouse horror that some of its trailers led audiences to believe it was. So like on that original level, it's about a woman who's in this kind of classic relationship with an older artist man who's fucking with her life. But then also it's a biblical allegory with Jennifer Lawrence's Mother Earth and Javi Bardem as God. Throughout this podcast, we are going to be just referring to the characters by their actors' names because they don't really have names. We are also going to spoil everything. If you've not seen the movie, just listen to our podcast. We don't feel that you should necessarily see the film at all, even though it's being talked about by everyone in the film world. Not going to be a huge blockbuster success. So for everyone who's not seen it, Morgan's going to give us a quick recap of this film's quote-unquote plot. Uh, very, very unique story this one has. <laughs> I will attempt to do so. I mean, it's hard to really explain the plot of this movie because it has no plot, per se. It's so, more the experience, Morgan. Yes. what And what an experience it was. There was some laughter in my screening that was, I would say, uh, coming at moments where laughter was not supposed to be coming. There were some seat adjustments at moments where seat adjustments should not necessarily have been taking place. The woman sitting next to me left literally two minutes from the end of the movie. I was like, I respect that. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Get out. So basically, Jennifer Lawrence has recreated um, Javier Bardem's childhood home, which burned down in a fire. She is an unprofessional interior decorator. It's a ridiculously beautiful house. This is quite this funny. This movie is interior design porn. It's yes. just this absolutely beautiful octagonal mansion in the middle of nowhere. Everything is brushed wood and like there's loads of fixtures. Every single thing, including Jennifer Lawrence's wig and clothing, is in shades of beige. I have never seen so many scenes involving linens in my life. Oh my god. Absurd. She has, her wig is always in either a braid or in some sort of ridiculous sort of bun coiffure thing that no woman has ever worn in her life. Oh, it's a, it's a casual, a casual ponytail bun. Right. For when, for, <laughs> for every young woman whose hair is like corn and it's like just oh it's just it's like she's a field of corn and (laughs) i um, i just tossed it up and this is what happened (laughs) there was just there were a couple of points where the wig got wet and i was just sitting there like the wig's wet the wig's wet (laughs) i had exactly the same reaction very bad wig so javier bardem plays a famous poet as you say which okay um a celebrity poet but in the dream world of this film we will accept that he is a celebrity poet. That is the least of this movie's problems. And he's having trouble writing. And he's very angry about this. And she is just supportive. She loves his writing. She wants him to write. But they're interrupted by the arrival of Ed Harris, who is supposedly a doctor who has stumbled upon them, but turns out to be a crazy fan. And then his He's wife, also Adam from the Bible. Yes. His wife, Michelle Pfeiffer, then shows up. 
She's because she's only... been created out of his rib, as we see in a scene where he has a rib injury. Yes. Uh, she is the only fun thing in this movie because Michelle Pfeiffer cannot not be good. She just sort of wanders around and says ridiculous, provocative things because she is, you know, temptation. Ha ha ha. And Jennifer Lawrence is very annoyed by their presence. This goes on for a while. And then their sons show up and have a really angry fight. And Donald Gleason kills the other one and is very upset about it. Because they're Cain and Abel. Ha ha ha. So clever. And then for after this point, I don't, this, I don't know how long this takes, but basically the movie descends into an orgy of violence because all of Javier Bardem's crazy fans show up at the house. At which point, so it's like nine months later and Jennifer Lawrence is heavily pregnant. There's a funeral first. The funeral for the dead son. And she's like, why are you all at my house? And Javier Bardem's like, it's fine. No big deal. Then he finishes his masterwork. She gets pregnant the second he finishes his masterwork because he can finally fuck her again because he's finished his masterwork. She's about to give birth. His crazy fans show up at the house. They rip the house apart. She gives birth. Javier Bardem takes the baby, gives it to the crazy fans. The baby dies. They start to eat the baby and then almost like rip her apart also. She sets the house on fire and then Javier Bardem carries her back up to like their bedroom, I guess, or no, his study. And then she willingly allows him to rip her heart out so that he may create once more. And, and the- her heart is a crystal, which like at the beginning of the film, it's like a, it's like a loop. So basically he just yes. keeps recreating these wives that represent hope and creativity and Mother Earth, and he takes their crystal heart to, like, regenerate the house again. Yes. The last shot of the movie is the same thing that you see at the beginning with a woman who looks very much like Jennifer Lawrence sort of, you know, asking for him. Um, This is the stupidest movie I have seen, I would say, all year. I think this is the worst movie I've seen this year. I can't think of anything worse. DC hasn't put out Justice League yet, so there will be competition soon. But, wow, what a bad it's film. A, it's a very stupid film that thinks it's very <laughs> smart. I actually enjoyed it more than Morgan. Not in the sense that I think this film is good or has much to say for itself, but I enjoy horror stuff more. So all the parts where um, Jennifer Lawrence was kind of feeling really anxious because people were invading her house, I was like, this is reasonably effective horror. And I also like weird stuff, so... There's some scenes where she's kind of plunging her hand into like a bloody hole in the floor. And I was like, great, love me some bloody holes in floors. (laughs) I would have much preferred if this film was a lot weirder. It's not that weird, right? Like the only thing that's weird is the fact that the latter half is very kind of surreal. So when Morgan said that there's this sort of orgy of violence in the latter half, the first half basically does function as a conventional drama film. Jennifer Lawrence is this really socially anxious person who just wants to be left alone in her peaceful house. And then her house is invaded by like this melodramatic family of people who are fighting and she finds it very uncomfortable. And that is quite well executed in my opinion. The second half, this huge kind of epic apocalypse happens and time doesn't really mean anything anymore. So 
you know, she's about to have like a celebratory dinner with her husband, but then like 500 fans show up, but then they kind of create a religion in their house. And there's like a Call of Duty style war scene where there's all these explosions and stuff. People are dying and, you know, there's barricades in their house and the whole place collapses. So it's very kind of dreamlike. But I've been watching a lot of Twin Peaks recently, which Twin Peaks The Return, absolutely love it. Really great. I would say about 50% of Twin Peaks The Return is terrible, but it's still fantastic television. Every single aspect of what Darren Aronofsky is attempting to do is just better executed by David Lynch. I mean, obviously you can't really compare them stylistically. David Lynch is a lot stranger and a lot, he doesn't attempt to make things have any kind of meaning. But I just kept thinking of that comparison because both of them are trying to do these stories that are quite surreal and are about kind of unnameable horrors. And then David Lynch is just like a really nice person who wants actors to have a fun and relaxed time on set and Darren Aronofsky is like isn't it really great that I made this film about how awful it is to be in a relationship with a toxic middle-aged artist who's up himself and then Jennifer Lawrence started dating him while they were making this movie and part of the PR interviews and campaign for this movie has involved her being like yeah you know I worked so hard on being hysterical during this film I like ruptured my larynx from hyperventilating too much on set and it's like that's not something to brag about that's actually bad (laughs) that's bad yeah it's it's, all really quite unpleasant it's unfortunate and i think so the trailers for this movie sort of sold it as a really weird horror movie right they used like half the weird stuff in this movie in the trailer and so I was like, all right, that's fine. I am definitely not a horror person at all. But I can enjoy a horror movie if it's really well executed and not gratuitously like slasher gory. Like that stuff I just So this won't movie go to. is like reverse get out. Yes. They're both like kind of secluded house, like get out of my house movies about terrible white people. Get out is perfect in basically every regard. This film is meaningless garbage. Right. So Get Out I loved, right? Like, that's that kind of horror movie, I will, I mean, not what is like Get Out, but you get what I'm saying. Like, I thought that was great. I went to it. Totally loved it. This, literally the first two thirds of this movie are Jennifer Lawrence walking around a house. Like, there are so many shots that are just the camera following her walking around. And I was like, nothing is happening. Nothing is happening in this fucking movie. Like, and then occasionally, like, there will be some blood on the floor or whatever. But, which is a weird thing, but I couldn't get into it at all because there was so little of it and it meant nothing. I was like, I don't care about this in any way. Why? Why? And Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer show up, right? And they're absolutely, like, the most entertaining thing about this movie. They're great actors. As I said, Michelle Pfeiffer can never be bad. The same thing can be said about Ed Harris. But they're not acting like people. Which can be fine, depending on the movie and what the director's objective is. But they're basically acting like children, which is the whole point of, like, the Adam and Eve thing. Yeah, they're kind of, like, sexed-up teenagers. Right. Eve just wants to like wander around and find the crystal in the office and you know they both are just like really horny and keep making out with each other right which was great like I really liked their scenes but like they didn't have personalities and neither did Javier and Jennifer 
their roles were literally just purely allegorical. So it was like, this is the only part of this that resonates is the fact that it's a really obvious story about unequal relationships where there is like some genius and his like innocent young muse. Yeah. So the scenes with Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer like individually may have been entertaining, but if you take them as a whole and in the context of the film, I was like, this just doesn't work. Like this just doesn't make any sense. This movie is just weird but not for any reason. And then they vanish. And then it turns into this weird, like Jennifer Lawrence is wandering around her house and there are a million people there ripping things out of the walls. And why? Like, why Why is that? Like, what is the point of any of this? It nothing means anything. Ah. And, and the central relationship thing, obviously one does fixate on that to a certain extent, right? Because, like, all the way through the film, I'm just like, why is Jennifer Lawrence dating Darren Aronofsky? Yeah. Like, I was already thinking that before I saw the film. But while you're watching it, it's just, like, it just makes me think of, like, what, like, Joss Whedon's therapy sessions must be like, right? Because <laughs> the whole thing is Darren Aronofsky kind of making this character who I think either is, I mean, it's clearly, like, a really direct kind of autobiographical thing or yes. it's, like, that's how everyone's going to read it anyway. The story is, you know, there's this creative genius who's really controlling and doesn't value his younger spouse. And, he, and like, Javi Bardem is, like, the same age as Darren Aronofsky. And, like, so it's, like, very clear kind of lines to follow there. Um, and it's kind of acknowledging, like, the misogyny and creepiness of that. But I'm, like, you're acknowledging it, but, like, you're not changing your behavior. Because there were all these stories from, like, the set of him kind of yelling at people and being really unpleasant and tyrannical because that is... You know, that's his directorial style. Like, when he was directing Black Swan, he was intentionally pitting the two lead actresses against each other to try and make them hate each other. Which, you know, Natalie Portman at the time was like, I kind of know what you're trying to do here, because, like, she's not a fucking idiot. But it's just like, what, what is, like, what are you attempting to do here? Because it's like, we all know that there is a lot of relationships where, like, some poor, unfortunate young woman is, like, propping up some quote-unquote genius. And also, it's kind of weird, right? Because Darren Aronofsky is not really famous right like he's a celebrated director but he's not like surrounded by gajillions of fans and it's kind of weird like oh yeah Javi Bardem is like a messianic poet where people are like you know clawing his walls apart to get to him it's just like I mean he made Requiem for a Dream and people like that film but he's not even even though he is like a really acclaimed director he's not a celebrity figure no he doesn't have stands. Like, I mean, you could make this movie about, like, a fucking, like, about, like, Justin Bieber, you know? <laughs> yeah, the whole time I was, and, like, I went into this film, right? And I didn't think I was probably going to like it that much based on reactions I'd heard from people. But I have historically liked the stuff of his I've seen. I don't think probably anyone really loves Requiem for a Dream that much, but it's really interesting. I do love The Wrestler and would recommend that movie to anyone. I think it's incredible. And I really like Black Swan. So I didn't go into this like with my knives out. I was totally open to liking it. And within maybe three minutes was like, I'm going to fucking hate this movie. <laughs> like, this is not good. Um, but the whole time I just kept thinking, like, who is going to break it to him that he's just not that big of a deal? And I say this fully acknowledging that he is a really successful director whose work is very beloved by critics and his stuff has been nominated for many Oscars. Like Black Swan was a huge hit for a film of that size, but like everything in proportion, right? 
Chill out, And also out, he's dude. not a public personality, right? Because like, it's like you could say about Christopher Nolan. Christopher yeah. Nolan is not like a big personality, but people know stuff about him. I think the only thing that people really know about Darren Aronofsky, if they know anything, is that he's quite unpleasant. And that he used to be married to Rachel Weisz. And that he used to be married to Rachel Weisz. As many people have been joking on social media over the past few days, how great is it that Rachel Weisz is currently just off married to James Bond, having a chill time. Hopefully, great. Seems like they have a happy marriage. Congratulations to them. Meanwhile. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just... I mean, bizarre. I don't recall. Have you seen The Fountain? No. Because The Fountain was his other kind of, like, original passion project. Like, yeah. So, so it's kind of about, like, there's the tree of life and it's all very kind of um, dreamlike. It's not a good film, but it's less kind of toxic than this one. And I saw it as a teenager and I was like, this is nonsense, but, like, it's quite nice to watch, like, a weird film with a tree and a bunch yeah. of people of different time periods. Whatever. Um, this film, like, he'd been working on that for ages and I think it was kind of critically panned, but it was like his life's work and he wrote like a companion book and stuff and ended up getting a cult following. With Mother, um, as far as I know, the kind of backstory for this movie is that he wrote the script in like three or four days, but that isn't really kind of the screenplay they were working off. It was then like he and Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem then basically went to like a warehouse somewhere and just workshopped the film and then made like a test film and then made like the actual film in a set after that so it's like an interesting kind of production process it's very kind of art cinema kind of process but all the way through this film I just had this like unrelenting kind of feeling that it was someone's art school final project (laughs) because the dialogue no the dialogue isn't all bad right but in all the scenes where you have like an intense exchange between the two leads and it's one-on-one the dialogue immediately is just terrible, right? Yeah. They're having these really obvious conversations which just feel like every kind of midlife crisis man novel ever where it's like, oh, I just give and give all this, you know, energy to you and then you're just paying attention to your fans. And it's like, I know, I've been watching the film. You don't need to have that conversation. (laughs) Like, that's the whole conflict between you. So it's like completely just pointless exchanges. And like, the actors couldn't really deliver that convincingly, right? Um, I think Morgan had more problems with the performances than I did, but it was just like all those one-on-one scenes just didn't work. And then all the religion stuff was just completely meaningless. It was just like a pop culture reference and Big Bang Theory. It was like, oh, she's Eve and he's Adam. And it's like, so? Why Why? Sh- why would I care? It doesn't. It's not telling me anything. Like, it's, it's just a reference. Well, also, there he makes references to the various biblical plagues. Yeah, one point it's just like a frog. And it's yeah. Like, and then, I don't care if there's a frog. Like, the blood in the house, right? Yeah. But that doesn't make any sense either. Like, he's not telling that story. What? <laughs> and there was a good piece by Owen Gleiberman in Variety, and he was one of the critics who really did not like this movie. And he was sort of taking to task all the critics who had written really glowing reviews talking about how deep this film was and all the allegory, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, look, this movie doesn't mean anything. (laughs) And just because you have a bunch of symbols in it doesn't make it meaningful. Like, there has to actually be some rhyme or reason to what you're doing. And, like, so shoot me. I actually like there to be some drama in the films that I watch. And I can totally get down with really weird experimental shit, right? 
But same God. Yeah. This does this is nothing. There is nothing here. And I feel like by making all these allusions to things and sort of suggesting that there's some there there under the surface that he's bamboozled lots of critics into thinking that this movie is really deep, but it's not. There it it means nothing. And I mean, it's not, so it's like, it's not telling us anything about the, you know, the human condition, right? right. It's like the people in it are not people, like they're not kind of acting in a way that's particularly reflective of humanity, except the really basic core idea of a young woman being in an exploitative relationship with an older artist, which like is executed in a kind of weird way where it's simultaneously self-aware and also kind of toxic and gross and like Jennifer Lawrence just should be doing other stuff and also be dating someone 20 years younger. But also he released this uh, artist's statement thing about it, which Morgan found very entertaining, where he's kind of explaining the background, which is partly the biblical stuff and also partly that it's about like the rape of Mother Earth, which is something that Jennifer Lawrence has been saying on the press tour. <laughs> and, you know, it's tying into all this stuff that he tackled in Noah, which is a film that I have not seen and will not see, which is his one really big blockbuster, which is kind of somewhat about climate change because, you know, it's about Noah. But clearly he is very moved by contemporary politics and climate change, as are we all. And he has chosen to execute those feelings in a way that's just completely incoherent and meaningless. Because this film is not about Mother Earth, right? He has named Jennifer Lawrence Mother Earth, and it's kind of meant to be about Javier Bardem being this exploitative god figure who's just constantly rebirthing this supportive wife to like be his hope, and also he's using all of her life energy to whatever you know you can kind of tell what that is but there's literally no way anyone is ever going to watch this and be like oh it's about mother earth and climate change right so the fact that he's given it that artist statement like even once you know that you watch the film and it's like that's definitely not true (laughs) whereas there was another interpretation i read of this film which is you know it's a completely subjective reading but there's someone who interpreted this film as being about anxiety and the main character, Jennifer Lawrence, is the conscious mind and then the subconscious is Javier Bardem and the house is the brain and all the people are intrusive thoughts. And I was like, I accept this reading actually because the whole film is extremely anxiety inducing because most of the actually effective emotional content is because Jennifer Lawrence wants to be left alone and also wants to be appreciated and she's constantly either ignored or her space is being invaded by these unwanted people and she just wants to have a quiet life. And that is the only part of it that really functions, which is just like a really basic horror movie with like a young female lead, which is very kind of genre-y, right? Yeah. So that interpretation, which is by someone who freely admits that they were just making it up, that's better than the one that he's saying about climate change. Right. (laughs) Yeah, and I... You were telling me about this before we started recording, and I said, if that was the movie he had actually set out to make, and then he had made that film, that film would be so much better than the film that he made, but he did not do that. Yeah. Unfortunately. He already made Black Swan, which is kind of that film. Yes, exactly. Um, And there are obviously also in this, like, all of these scenes where he's attempting to depict sexism, and I think is some of it that's sort of, I think, trying to be self-aware and self-reflective. And then some of it, I think, is meant to sort of be commenting on, like, sexism in the film industry. Not in terms of, like, that being, the like, what it's about, but I think probably things that he's observed or heard about or whatever. 
like there's one scene in a party where some guy is like attempting to you know give Jennifer Lawrence his card or whatever and she's like I don't want why are you talking to me like I don't want your card um and he keeps trying to basically talk to her and when she finally is like please leave me alone he like says really nasty things to her and I was like oh this really reminds me of like a young actress dealing with like bullshit in Hollywood right yeah and there were a couple other moments like that but the whole thing I just thought this is so a movie like by a man who's attempting to comment on sexism who doesn't understand sexism or misogyny at all because he is himself a misogynist (laughs) yeah it's like he's understood it to a certain extent but like you know you're just displaying your own toxic soul (laughs) like he's done it to such an extent that it's like this isn't actually adding anything constructive right yeah because you can basically like just look at his you know like a two sentence summary of like his personal life and be like okay (laughs) oh my god i also so to I think you, as you said, like found the performances more persuasive than I did, but I felt like I had a real sort of revelation about Jennifer Lawrence watching this film. And I've been not totally persuaded by her career in the past, but... Because so many of the roles she takes are like for a 35-year-old. Well, this is the thing. Yes, that's a problem. As And this is another example of this. I mean, they make comments in the film about how she's so much younger than he is, but... She, they should just have had an older actress. Like, there's no reason why this it doesn't make any sense. But I found her really bad and unconvincing in this. And obviously part of that is that the script is literal garbage and there's nothing there. But so are a lot of the movies that she makes. Like, she's done a lot of stuff with really bad scripts, which is unfortunate because she's the biggest movie star or biggest female movie star in the world. So you would think that she would be able to find something to do that is not bad. <laughs> I love just... that she and Chris Pratt and apparently like a fuck ton of people in Hollywood were like, yeah, the screenplay for Passengers is just like this unsung work of genius. And it was so great to finally see this come to fruition. And it's like, you made Passengers. You <laughs> saw the script for Passengers and everyone was like, we have to battle to get this masterpiece made into a film. And then you did. And that was an <laughs> error. Well, the thing about Mother, right, is that she's playing this character who is incredibly passive. And as you said, her only characteristic is that she's anxious. And the roles in which she's been really good, which to my mind are Winter's Bone and the Hunger Games films, she is really steely and strong. Um, But also has this emotional undercurrent. Because this is very much like a classic horror movie role, right? Because her entire character has extremely minimal characterization apart from the symbolism stuff and it's all about reacting to things which is why there's certain actresses who become scream queens because they're really really good at doing the specific thing of making you engage with them when they're terrified in a horror movie yeah right and she's not really that good at this yeah and i realized i was like okay so and I thought about it, and I was like, okay, so X-Men, obviously, again, like, terrible writing, but she's really awful in those movies. Passengers, bad screenplay, but also she's, like, a disaster. But um, no one could be good in Passengers. Right. But, like, this, we're continuing the list, right? And then I think she's really awful in American Hustle, but in a different way. And it occurred to me, I was like, oh my god, I figured it out. I don't think she has, like, just natural, innate 
magnetic screen chemistry. I think she needs a really good role. And I think that everyone has missed this because in real life, she's the most charismatic person alive. Like she's, you watch her interviews and she's like the most charming person you've ever seen. But if you put her on screen, she doesn't like just naturally light it up. She needs to be doing something that's really good. But also everything you've described there is a serious drama role, which is completely different from being charming and fun, right? So if you did like a charming and fun movie, if she did like fucking Ghostbusters. Right. And instead, she has completely played to her weaknesses over the course of most of her career. Why? What is her agent doing? I I don't understand this. And so the whole movie is terrible, but also like rests on her ability to look scared and I was like this is garbage anyway but you've also cast someone who can't do this and I think that's part of the reason why I was so bored and like I'm not blaming her for this incidentally like this movie I hated and like it's not her fault but so much of it is like her walking around and then like long shots of her face and I was like I am so like I can't handle this (laughs) This and is also her so face boring. is quite like, immobile. Like, I yeah. think maybe she started getting Botox now or something, because like, yeah. her forehead doesn't yeah. move anymore. Yeah. Um, but it was just so dire. Like, the thing I was, I was trying to think of a, like, a good comparison to this, right? Because the sort of adage about actors, and I don't think this is always true, but like, really great actors can be great at anything, even if the thing is garbage. And I was... With think- literally Michelle Pfeiffer in this film. Exactly. I was like, <laughs> you know... But I was trying to think of a really good comparison, and I was like, I've got it. <laughs> Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard in Assassin's Creed, right? <laughs> like, which I genuinely believe to be superior to this film on basically every level. Oh, like, God. I mean, yeah. Not facetiously. Actually, that reminds me, because actually, Michael Fassbender in Alien Covenant this year, right? Because Alien Covenant is riddled with like other allegorical religious stuff as well. And it was actually a lot more effective than the allegorical religious stuff in this. And Alien Covenant, obviously not a flawless film. Like, you should listen to our podcast about it. We loved and also had some criticisms. But all of the slightly ham-fisted allegorical Christian Bible stuff in that, it kind of worked. And, like, it visually also worked. There was a lot of kind of Gustav Dory illustration stuff going on in the background. Paradise Lost shit. It worked. Yeah. That was a, a case of, like, part of that movie is really boring and stupid. But then the, you know, Ridley Scott and the screenwriters also, shout out to John Logan, has, like, like, there's some interesting stuff going on, right? Like, someone had an idea that was interesting. And then they brought Michael Fassbender in and were just like, tear up the screen, knock yourself out, do it. And he was like, all right, I am in. And this movie, it's only Darren Aronofsky who has creative control. He has no good ideas. And then Jennifer Lawrence, bless her, just does not have the capacity to do that. I mean, I hope, wish only the best for her. Like, I'm not saying she's never going to, you know, whatever. Like, I would love for her to make a movie with a woman again. Winter's Bone was directed by Deborah Granick, who is a great female filmmaker. And I think that that would be a really positive experience for Jennifer Yeah, because she keeps attaching herself her to creepy middle-aged men. Yeah. It's the second time this has happened. Yes. Free her. But certainly at this point in her career, like, she just doesn't have it for this kind of role. 
And so you wind up watching this movie that just has nothing. There's nothing here for anyone. Oh my God. Except I guess men, because a lot of men have, or at least film men have responded positively to this. Not audiences so much because this made $7.5 million this weekend, despite being advertised quite heavily uh which is funny yeah they to me. really the studio so the, the film cost 30 million and i think the studio paid a lot more for the advertising mm-hmm. because there was also like a lot of guerrilla marketing yes. they did these like you know there's the right now tumblr is full of ads for there's this graffiti artist who did this massive wall that was like a poster of jennifer lawrence holding her beating heart which is one of the pieces of art they created for it and like he's a graffiti artist who animates his graffiti by doing like a bunch of different versions and then filming it into a gif and also as the film has been promoted i saw a bunch of film critics on my twitter feed we're getting these like heart cakes where it's like a bleeding heart and this sort of thing. So like they're really making an effort to market this film. And like we said earlier, they had these trailers that are sort of making it look like a grindhouse movie and like a must watch horror. And that's why so many people are walking out. We were just talking about this before the podcast, but I'm so sure that a bunch of people have just asked for their money back at the cinema because that is something you can do. Well, this movie got an F cinema score, and if you're not familiar with what that is, it's basically just a grade of what audiences thought of the movie. And every film gets between A and C. Yeah. And usually, it's like B to A minus. Like, people are not that discriminating, for the most part. And usually, I find this to be very meaningless. Um, But But it's meaningful when something gets an F. Correct. (laughs) And normally what that suggests is that there's been a, I mean, like 18 movies ever have gotten an F, so normally is, you know, they use loosely here, but normally when something does really badly, it's because the marketing has suggested that the movie you're going to see is very, very different from the movie you wind up seeing. And as I was saying, this suggests this is this like fun, pulpy horror movie, and it's a movie about Jennifer Lawrence walking around a house and a baby gets killed. So, like, no wonder people hated this. And also, like, if you think about what is the audience for Jennifer Lawrence, right? Yeah. Because, like, actors who have star power, they have a particular kind of star power. Yeah. The teens like her. You know? Yeah, teens and young women. Because if she did, like, a really shit movie that was about someone's bachelorette weekend, right? Which... Quite honestly, it's astounding she hasn't. Yeah. But that would never get an F cinema score rating, even if she, like, murdered someone on screen and wore their corpse. (laughs) Well, they also opened this in 2,000 theatres. That is insane. Well, Darren Aronofsky made a lot of money with Noah. (laughs) Did he? Because I don't recall that being the case. He made a lot of money not in America. Yeah. But then why open it in that many theatres in America? People really want to see Jennifer Lawrence, they thought. Right. But yeah, it's, I, a, it's like, having seen it, I'm astounded that they thought that was a good idea. The only explanation I could think of is that they knew and thought, we are going to trick people on the first weekend and that's our only hope. And they were just like, cast the net wide. Right. Which sometimes is a strategy. I interned at um, Focus Features many years ago and it was the summer they had this film, The American, coming out, which is in an art house film starring George Clooney as a spy in Italy, which is actually a very good film that I would recommend. But 
it is really, really slow. It's basically like a European art film, but in English with George Clooney, right? And they cut a bunch of trailers that make it seem like a really exciting, like, violent spy movie, which it is not at all. And they opened it wide on Labor Day. And we had a little seminar with the marketing people, and this was the example they used to show us. And they were like, we know that everyone's going to hate this movie, but we think we can make more money opening it wide on like the first weekend and tricking everyone than we could if we opened it small and then went like slowly expanded it because we know that this is not going to be a hit. <laughs> so basically they thought that if it got opened wide and then made money the first weekend and then completely like cratered after that, cause everyone was pissed off if that would still be a better financial strategy. So uh, the only explanation I can think of besides they just thought Jennifer Lawrence is popular was that they literally watched this and were like, we're fucked. Maybe we can just like <laughs> trick people for one weekend. And uh, even that didn't work because it didn't make any money. So, I mean, um, the fact that, I mean, obviously like people get very different things out of this, but the fact that it's getting quite a lot of glowing reviews from film critics actually makes me a little bit disappointed in them. Yes. Because I, I mean, if I view this as like, oh, here's like a piece of unsettling art cinema. I'm just like, you're just not measuring up. Yeah. Just like make it weirder. Have give it some meaning and just yeah, it just doesn't execute itself well. Especially since like virtually all of those film critics will also have been like me watching Twin Peaks. Yeah. Everyone should just go watch Under the Skin. That's what I think. That's that's my sort of strange. Yeah, I wasn't choice. even that keen on Under the Skin, and I would agree. Yeah. I mean, that's a fucking weird movie, and even that manages to have a plot, right? Like, things do happen in that film. This, by the way, is like a Scarlett Johansson movie where she's sort of a man-eating alien. You should watch it. It's great. But And then you will notice just how many people watched that film and then put visual cues from it in their films and TV shows over the past two years. It is a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, ugh, it's just so exhausting. Like, why must we continue to deal with these bullshit just men? Ugh. I, I'm referring to filmmakers, although critics also apply in certain cases. Um, yeah, don't watch this movie. Really, it's, don't spend two hours of your life on this. It's not a good idea. I hated it so much. I was so mad. <sighs> That's what I think. It's that noise. Uh, what are we doing next week? Oh my god, Morgan. Next week, we are doing Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> Well, I don't think I can watch Star Trek Discovery, so I'm going to watch some old Star Trek, and you I will... mean, you have to watch Star Trek Discovery. I don't have... You have CBS. It's on CBS All Access. The first episode is on CBS CBS. Okay. I will, for you, watch the first episode of Star Trek Discovery. <laughs> this is going to be... Gabby's podcast. You will do 80% of the time. No one has ever been more over-invested <laughs> in anything than me and Star Trek Discovery. And the really great thing about this show is that I'm actually relatively optimistic about it, even though I think a lot of sci-fi critics and a lot of Star Trek fans think that it's going to be terrible. I'm relatively optimistic. But even if it turns out to be quite bad... I'm still going to be satisfied, partly because it means I'm getting new Star Trek and it's like, you know, they've got really high production values and a diverse cast and all the actors seem really good. 
but also because Star Trek in general, a lot of it's really shit, right? So it's like, <laughs> oh, what if it doesn't live up to Star Trek's legacy? Have you seen Star Trek? I love Star Trek. And it's just so much of it is just absolute nonsense or actively bad. So it's fine. I'm going to be a huge stan for this show. I'm hoping it, I mean, you know, it, it might be like offensively horrible and I will be quite sad, but Star Trek's average is already not that high and I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Um, I think so you're going to be, be an interesting happy. episode. I think it'll be <laughs> fine. Um, and to remind people who did not listen last week, we will be doing a book club episode on October 3rd for the new John le Carré novel, A Legacy of Spies. We should have reminded everyone at the beginning of this episode, but we were too eager to jump in to our rant about Mother. I have finished this book. I finished it two days ago. It's very short. It's a quick read. It's so good. I was so emotional. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's not perfect. It has some issues, but I really enjoyed reading it. If you do read it, I would recommend watching uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy beforehand if you haven't sort of engaged with this stuff before. I mean, I actually think the spy who came in from the cold is more relevant. Yes, it's more relevant plot wise. You should watch both of them. There, this five came in from the cold is a good adaptation too, in terms of like the emotional stuff. I think Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is more relevant. Just watch both of them. We'll be talking about all of it. Spies are good. John Le Carre is good. It's going to be fun. So that is October third. Thank you for listening to this very angry episode <laughs> of Overinvested. As always, if you enjoyed us ranting. We would greatly appreciate if you left a rating or a review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. And otherwise, you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com, on Twitter at overinvestedpod, or on Tumblr at overinvestedpodcast. Thanks. Bye.